0: Bert. holy crap a new introduction to the podcast but for real though the rest of it will come after this i just want to thank you guys um all the five star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome and i appreciate it when i hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast so you guys rock uh listen to the commercials or skip by them it's cool and your episodes on its way last but not least today's podcast is brought to you by a3 body protectant a3 was designed when martin noticed that hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant healthy skin after plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care he learned the secrets hawaii's best secret is now available at a3equip.com that's a3equip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com Receive with caution. all doctors to the ER do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about
1: get squared away spiritual get squared away
0: emotional
1: get squared away
0: mental
1: get squared away
0: call.
1: the podcast that'll help you get squared away
0: all right it is uh it's any given sunday no it's thanksgiving sunday and uh it snowed here so that's flipping exciting i was cool wasn't quite ready for that yeah it looks like a cocaine bust out there jeez i got all my slide outs out on my on my new camper so now i'm gonna fucking have to wait till that thaws out before i can put those in oh really why is that the well, ice up or what what the ice up or what? No, I don't want the snow to be because the the slide out goes into the camper, you know when you when you put the slide out in, so I don't want the I don't want the snow going inside the camper and then thawing yeah. out in there
1: <laughs> you're the proud owner of a
0: oh my God yeah, what a f- a camper huh What a situation <laughs> that is Oh well you got the heat running? I didn't get the heat running because the propane tanks are gone. So oh, they're gone, yeah, the propane tanks and the battery pack are are gone, so I got to get a propane tank mount and then two new propane tanks and a regulator, and then I can get to test everything and make sure it's not leaking propane. then I can get it going oh, okay, so I, I thought you had to reload or something, but you're missing the whole deal. no, I'm missing the whole deal, and like I told you okay i'll, I'll catch I'll catch all the listeners up, so I regularly watch these insurance and bank repo auctions and every once in a while I'm like oh that looks like something that would be fun and that's cheap and I throw a bid out on right no no big deal and most of the time stuff on this auction goes like higher than you would have to pay for it in the fucking regular market it's ridiculous people are idiots on auctions like before I bought my white Denali I was bidding on a 2012 three-quarter ton Duramax in Texas and this thing ended up going for like after all the auction fees, it would have been like $27,000 and had 160,000 miles on. It was insane. It was like, what, what are you idiots even bidding on? But anyways, so I see this camper and it's a, it's a pretty nice camper. It's a 2014 open range Mesa Ridge, which are like pretty high end. It's a four season camper. So it's all insulated. It's got um, ducted forced air, heat and air conditioning and I'm like, eh, whatever, I'll just throw a random bid on it. And it's got one of those auto-bid things where you can set your top bid and then it auto-bids until you get to your top bid, right? And so I set my top bid at, a, at what I thought would be nowhere close to what it went. And it gets down to the end of the auction and some asshole starts bidding up my original bid by like 25 bucks every five minutes because it, it only it has to go like five minutes after the last bid before it ends. And so this guy, like, 25 bucks. 25 bucks, 25 bucks for like an hour and a half and gets it up to my top bid and goes $3 over my top bid. And I'm like, this asshole, if he's going to do that, I'm going to make him pay more for the fucking thing. So I put one $25 bid on it because you have to, it was minimum $20 increments. So I put a $25 bid over what my original top bid was and he never came back and bid anymore. So I won a camper. It's a 32 foot bumper pole. FYI pulling a 32 foot bumper pull camper through Chicago is not the funnest or- ordeal. But now I got it home and I got to get everything figured out, what needs to be fixed, what's wrong with it cuz it's a, you know, it's a 2014, so it's 10 years old, 9 years old. So I got the I got the slide outs out yesterday and I put a I put a a movie on to check all the electronics and learn how all those work and I got the fireplace going. I had the all the outside lights, I had the the awning. It's got a, or an automatic or a mechanical awning that goes out with a, with a motor. It got the awning out. I had everything figured out. But hindsight, should have put the slide outs back in before it snowed today. Didn't think that through.
1: Well. But, yeah, well, so that was my week last week. Jason, now you're a proud owner of a <laughs> pull behind camper. Your neighbor's got to be thinking, what the hell?
0: Uh, well, you know, so we have the restroom uh, trailer and so my one neighbor across the street comes over and he's like uh hey these restroom trailers are getting pretty fancy i was like yeah but honestly (laughs) um the the rv rental business is pretty lucrative in the summer so what i may do is just put this thing up for uh you know 50 bucks less a night than any of the other similar campers and just put a price per mile to deliver it and just deliver it and pick it up from campgrounds and let people rent it if they want to.
1: then you're going to have to, you know, get the black light out. So you can clean that thing between.
0: Eh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you know me, but I have somebody that does the cleaning. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah. Um, what about you? How was your
1: Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was good. It was quiet. So just uh, kept my diet and keep gotta stay trim lean and trim so um you know just spent a lot of time recovering like i told you to spend like uh an hour in a hot tub after i hurt myself again so
0: i don't know sucks getting old it does suck getting old i uh i my goal was 10,000 calories for thanksgiving day i don't think i hit it oh you're counting or what no i was just i was estimating but I don't Estimating. Think, I don't think I hit it. I started adding everything up towards the end of the day, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not even close."
1: So what do you mean, ten thousand? Any calories or what? Yeah, pretty much. So you were just hitting calories. Yeah, we were just looking to get fat
0: on on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, why not? One one day, one well, not one day, a few days a year. Is it doesn't hurt anybody. Nope, that's all right. But it's life. To uh to lead into that. I wanted, to, I wanted to get a jump on the New Year's resolutions, and I wanted to give you guys this week some, some really, really, really good information when it comes to actual fat loss, not just yo-yo dieting. And I wanted to give you the knowledge base that you needed to start planning what your next year is going to look like. And... I went to I went to Gary Taubes and if you guys don't know who Gary Taubes is Gary Taubes has written a few books two of which um, the first one is good calories bad calories and good calories bad calories is an amazing book but the reality of the average person reading good calories bad calories and getting anything out of it is just a stretch it's like an 800 page scientific manual on The actual mechanics of fat storage, the mechanics of thermodynamics, the mechanics of how the body processes different macronutrients, um, the science behind cholesterol, the science behind all that stuff. And it's just it's deep and it realistically is way more than the average person needs. And so he knew that. And so he set out to write his next book, and the next book is called Why We Get Fat. And Why We Get Fat takes about 10% of the science from good calories, bad calories, and then puts it forth in, with layman's terminology and starts to explain why obesity is an epidemic, why the majority of what we understand behind obesity is faulty at best and in some ways manipulated and lied to us and what we can do about it and the first thing that I wanted to get out of the way is and if you guys listen to Rogan you guys listen to Huberman you guys listen to any of these people you've heard about Ansel Keys but if you haven't I'll give you a little a little highlight um on Ansel Keys Ansel Keys was the prominent figure in nutritional science when the obesity epidemic and especially heart disease and cholesterol started to become a common terminology in the world um, vocabulary. And what Ansel Keys did was put forth what is known as the Seven Countries Study, and the, the problem here is what Ansel Keys did is he looked at all these different countries from around the world. He looked at their common diet. He looked at the macronutrient breakdown of their common diet and he looked at their heart disease, their obesity rates, um, all this kind of things. And he cherry picked seven countries of like a hundred different countries that he had this data for that aligned with his hypothesis. And whether it was because Ansel Keys was a scientist that was being funded by um, companies like General Mills, who, if processed carbohydrates were implicated in heart disease, would have lost, you know millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, or whether it was because he was a narcissist who set out to do science strictly to um, prove himself right, uh, but whichever one of those two things was the case, or maybe a combination of those two things were the case. His science became kind of the, the go-to science when it came to the world health organization, when it came to the FDA food pyramid, when it came to all this stuff, his specific seven country study was the, I guess the, the gold standard that was looked to by people that put um, regulation in place. And what, his seven country study basically told us was that dietary fat causes high cholesterol, uh, saturated fat causes high cholesterol and saturated fat and dietary fat, specifically animal fats um, correlate with heart disease. And the problem here is that just a cholesterol number as a total cholesterol, doesn't really have any sort of positive correlation with heart disease and especially doesn't have any positive correlation with, with death. And correlation is not even causation. So what came of Ansel Keys' manipulation of the data and our dipshit regulators um, putting forth his study was all these low fat, you remember the low fat diet craze, oh, the yeah. snack, well cookies and all these low fat diet snacks. You remember that? Yeah. dude, That was a huge thing. I remember my stepmom had all this shit in the house. Yeah. But
1: what they replace? what was in place of that low fat?
0: It was hydrogenated oils. Yeah. It, was, it was, it was it was trans fats basically is what it was. Yeah. And you know, fast forward, what would that have been 30, 40, 50 years? And we start to see that um, processed carbohydrates raise raise triglycerides and um, high-density lipoproteins, HDL, or uh, sorry, HD low-density lipoprotein LDL and VLDL, which VLDL, very dense lipoproteins, whatever VLDL is, um, those are the worst when it comes to heart disease and um, death rates. So Ansel Keys, basically his narcissistic sociopathic behavior and his manipulation of the data just to prove himself right, caused an entire generation or multiple generations of people to faulty, faultily eat and gave the food industry a leg up when it came to companies that produce processed carbohydrate treats. Now, um, to get into the book of why we get fat, basically the common narrative is that we is calories in calories out, which we will call, you know, CICO calories in calories out, which is you are eating more calories than you are burning, which is, which is correct. It is. But to say that calories in, calories out is the causation of getting fat is like saying that running out of fuel is why your car won't work. Well, yeah, running out of fuel is why your car won't work, but why did you run out of fuel? You ran out of fuel because you didn't put enough fuel in your car. You didn't fuel up when you needed to. We're completely ignoring the psychological effect and the body's need for homeostasis when we start to talk about calories in, calories out. So too many calories versus too little calorie burning. So you start to think about too many calories. What does that mean? That means you're overeating more than your body needs and that's causing you to store excess fat. Fat is more dense than carbohydrates, so if you're eating fat, it's easier to overeat. And the idea here is that the reason we are now obese as a affluent nation is because you are able to get so many more calories now than you got in the past, right? That's the idea. Yeah. And then the too little calorie burning, so the calories in is the first one, and the calories out is basically just we're more sedentary. So the stuff that Gary starts to talk about that completely contradicts these narratives is that it's very well documented throughout history that poverty is directly associated with obesity. Well, if you're impoverished and you are malnourished, how are you obese? Right? Yeah. Because if you can't get your hands on calories, then how are you eating more calories than you want? And he starts to talk about a few different examples. So the first example he gives is the Pima Indians. The Pima Indians were of the richest tribes in the United States up until about the time of the gold rush. So in 1846, a U.S. battalion went through the Pima Indian Reservation, it wasn't, I don't think it was a reservation then, but basically the area that they were at, and he documented that the Pima were sprightly and in fine health. He also noted that they had a great abundance of food, storehouses full of food. So at this point, they are sprightly, they're healthy, but they have as much food as they want to eat. But the type of foods that they have are the foods that they can grow, and the foods that they can hunt. So they're fish, hunt meat, and grow food from the ground, basically melons and berries and stuff like that, right? They're not growing they're not growing wheat and creating processed wheat flour. When the Mexicans and the Anglo Americans came through for the gold rush, the they basically hunted all the local game to near extinction, and they diverted the Gila River, which was the main river that the Pima Indians used to water their crops, irrigate their crops. And this completely impoverished the Pima Indians. They were no longer able to raise enough food or hunt enough food to take care of themselves. So they had to start living on government rations. So when they started to live on government rations, all of a sudden within a you know 20 to 30 year pa- span, obesity became a real problem. And by 1901, there were researchers that were looking at the health of the Pima Indians and something like 40% of the women and 20% of the men were obese. In the 1870s, um, from the 1870s to the 1900s, this came to happen. So why did this happen? Well, it came to happen because of the government rations were mainly white flour, coffee, and sugar. That was the majority of what you were given for calories. To the point that like, the Sioux Indians in South Dakota About a third of them live strictly on white flour and coffee. And that's all they were living on. So if we get out of our country and we start to look at other countries, uh, we look at Naples. Naples is in Italy. Post-World War II, Naples was considered a third world environment. The Naples diet, the common Naples diet, consisted of bread, pasta, wine, and olive oil, with a quarter of the calories coming from wine and olive oil. The odd thing here is this is eerily similar to what we look at as the Mediterranean diet. When you start to hear people talk about the Mediterranean diet, the issue here is that a majority of the calories are coming from bread and pasta. 25% of it is coming from wine and olive oil. The rest of it is all bread and pasta, which is a processed carbohydrate. These were all working class people. So we cannot say that they were not moving or sedentary right? These people work their ass off for a living and obesity and malnutrition, um, completely devastated the people. Um, there are similar cases all around the world. There was Jamaica, there was Cambodia, there was a bunch of different places where basically when the nations became impoverished and the government started to ration out processed carbohydrates, the entire population started to deal with obesity. The weird thing is is the women dealt with obesity much worse. And the older you got, the more obese the population became. So it it, if you look at it just from a starting to counteract or starting to dissect what the problem was, they were basically damaging themselves and damaging their, their um metabolism. So if we look at that, we can basically looking at that as is, is completely gets rid of the overeating is the problem, because the majority of people in Europe at this time or the majority of people around the world that were in poverty were, were living off of about twelve hundred less calories than the average um, non-poverish family. So right there, they're not overeating. So maybe it is. The output, maybe it's the exercise that, it, that, that, that they're not doing, right? They're sitting around too much. Oh, wait, I skipped over the health effects of under eating. Have you heard about the health effects of under eating? Yeah. Seems to be a lot of health effects of under eating if you listen to the common narrative, right? Well, people in caloric deficit
1: or even uh, vegans, there's a lot of health effects there.
0: Yeah. So the Women's Health Initiative adds up to about 20,000 women throughout different studies. And the women were instructed to eat a low-fat diet rich in fruits, vegetables, and fiber. They were given count regular counseling to help motivate them to stick to the diet. And on average, just not, not suggested that they eat less, but just because they were eating these products and because of the regular counseling, they ate on average 360 calories less per week um, than the people that were not, than the, than the control in the study. So, if you took 360 calories and added it up, even with the loss of um, basal metabolic rate with losing weight, yeah. you should have lost about an average of 22 pounds in the first year if you took the 360 calorie deficit. These women lost an average of two pounds per year. Or, no, 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 I'm sorry. After eight years, they lost an average of two pounds. And their waistlines actually grew, which means that of the two pounds that they lost, it was majority of it was actually muscle. Because their fat line actually grew, their waistline actually grew, which is directly um, related to body fat percentage. Yeah. So the other thing is, is what one of the big questions that they wanted to figure out with this study is, will it, would a low fat diet prevent heart disease or cancer? And after eight years, a low-fat diet failed to prevent heart disease or cancer. Um, another one, Harvard researchers enrolled 800 obese and overweight individuals. Uh, subjects were prescribed uh, one of four diets that altered the macronutrient ratio slightly, but all were about 750 calories less than what um, that person estimated to burn at, the, at a time. They were given intensive uh, behavioral counseling to keep them on their diets and they were given meal plans even to help them with food preparation. Participants started around 50 pounds overweight, lost an average of nine pounds, which happened in the first six months. And after a year, we're all gaining weight back. So um, basically all of this evidence was put forward by Gary Taubes to prove that undereating is not how you deal with a obesity problem. So maybe if under eating isn't how you deal with an obesity problem, maybe upregulating your exercise is how you deal with an obesity problem. Right? Yeah. Makes sense. Now, the one thing that you have to completely ignore if you're going to think about exercise as a way to treat uh, obesity is the idea that you work up an appetite, which we, we all know it happens, right? So imagine if you were invited to a feast prepared by an award-winning chef and you were told to bring a huge appetite, what would you do? You would do things like not eat before right. going. You would maybe get a workout in. You would do all sorts of different things to try to, to try to upregulate your appetite. Like Thanksgiving. Right? These are all things that are suggested when we talk about a diet. Right? Mm-hmm. You should work out. You should eat less. You should fast in between times. Oh, so we're doing all the things that we, would, we know that would give us a huge appetite and then we're just suggest, then we're just expected to ignore that huge appetite day after day after day after day and that's where that's where it starts to go wrong so poverty aligns with obesity but poverty also aligns with more daily energy ex- expenditure through work um, most people that are impoverished uh if they earn a living they earn a living through with their bodies not with their minds so they are burning more calories throughout the day well if that's the case then exercise is kind of null and void, right? So we start to think of um, runners. So they took a study of 13,000 runners and compared their weekly mileage with their weight year after year. Those who ran the most tended to weigh the least, but every single runner gained weight year after year, even those that ran up to 40 miles a week. So it was suggested after looking at the runner study that you would have to up your mileage by 2 miles a week year after year after year to maintain body weight so if you're a 40-year-old woman you would have to be investing 2 hours a day 5 days a week into running just to maintain your body weight no right yeah this seems ridiculous um oh and one of the other things one of the main people that is responsible for the idea that we can exercise our way out of obesity, his name was Jean Mayer, not John Mayer, the singer, but Jean Mayer. And he all of his suggestion came from two studies, um one of which was completely faulty, and the other of which was a rat study where he implemented a vigorous workout routine for these rats and then noticed that their appetite was decreased after the workout but the th- but then that's where he stops and if you dig into the study further the rats overeat on the days that they're not working out and the rest of their the rest of their time when they're not working out their energy expenditure is drastically dropped to the point that their actual calories burned are are about average to the rats that are in the control that are not working out so you completely negate that and then we start to think of, okay, if this calories in, calories out was, was, was right, right? If we just could eat less or we could just burn more, what does that mean? Well, what is, what is 20 calories a day? Well, 20 calories a day times 365 days a year, if you overate only 20 calories, that would be 7,300 calories a year. That'd be two pounds a year. That means in 25 years, you'd be 50 pounds heavier than you were 25 years earlier just by overeating 20 calories. So if the calories in, calories out hypothesis is correct, we have to assume that our body is so good at regulating what we're going to eat that we eat within minuscule amount, maybe five calories a day of what we're outputting. Does that seem like that makes sense at all? Um, Mathematically, mm. I don't know. I don't know if it's even possible. I don't think it's possible at all. The thing that we're completely ignoring with this calories in calories out, and I've had this argument with people online before, is we're completely ignoring your body's ability to find homeostasis. And what homeostasis means is homeostasis means that your body wants to stay at a healthy place of where it's at. It does not want to burn fat. So if you are upregulating your energy by working out, you downregulate the rest of your output the rest of the day, and you upregulate your appetite. And if your body, if it, let's say you are super strict and you do not eat anymore, your body will actually downregulate the amount of calories that it burns by just sitting in one place to the point that you are finding that homeostasis to where your body is not burning calories. This is why people go on a diet. They see themselves lose weight for a month or two months. And then all of a sudden they just plateau and they're eating the same exact thing as they were, but they're not losing any more weight because their body is so good. And everybody's body is so good at downregulating the amount of energy to match the amount of food that you're putting in that they are not getting up to go get something in the living room that they would have gotten. They're not going to get the mail. They're not saying, hey, I'm bored. I'm going to go for a walk. They're saying, I'm bored. I'm going to take a nap, right? And this is constantly happening over and over and over and over. Well, if that's the case, then how does our body regulate these things? And that's where hormones come in. Um, We'll skip over thermodynamics. That's not really needed. Um, That's where hormones come in. So hormones are the body's signaling system as to how to store fat, where to store fat, how to burn fat, what extra calories should be burned versus what extra calories should be stored. Um, Have you seen people that their mom carries all their fat in her hips, and then the daughter carries all the fat in the hips. Yeah. Or a good example that he uses is an Angus cow uh, versus a Jersey cow. Oh, a Guernsey? Uh, a Jersey. Jersey.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so an Angus cow is bred for meat, whereas a Jersey cow is bred for milk. So an Angus their genetics change their partitioning so that their fuel that they're eating goes to create muscle and fat. Whereas a Jersey, their energy partitioning goes to create milk. So they all look very fairly lean and their udders hang way down below their belly because that's their main thing. We know it when it comes to animals, so, but we ignore it when it comes to humans. That's why you can see the same family that has similar genetics from mom and dad, and you've got one kid that's overweight and another kid that's super skinny, and they're really eating a similar amount of food, is because our genes determine our hormones, and our hormones determine our body weight, it determines where we store fat, and it determines how much fat we store. Kind of so, like
1: saying look at, uh, look at the mother if you're going to realize what the daughter's going to look like in... 20 years
0: yeah so there's there's another one that's interesting when you start to look at i was trying to find where i put that in my notes oh oh here it is um the difference in hormones are completely shown in men versus women and what happens in puberty men throughout puberty generally lean out they get more muscle if they store fat they store some fatter on their bellies whereas women throughout puberty they generally put on weight and they store fat in their ass and their tits. These are all hormone regulated. That's the reason that women grow breasts. It's the reason that women hold their fat in different places than men. It's actually the reason that men, that men and women develop differently is hormones.
1: Well, so you're saying hormones is in direct uh, correlation to uh, tit size?
0: Yeah, prolactin is what tells your body to store fat. Prolactin and progesterone is what tells a female's body to store fat in her, in her breasts. Dang. Hey, interesting. Learn something every day. Yeah. But, um, so when we start to talk about hormones, when it comes to getting fat or when it comes to losing fat, insulin is the main one we need to talk about. So if you think about insulin, insulin is basically a proportioning valve for energy everything we eat is energy. A calorie is just a unit of a measurement of energy. Okay. So when we start to talk about insulin, insulin is basically the proportioning valve. It tells the body, um, what to do with that energy. It tells the body whether it should burn that energy or whether it should store that energy. And if it tells it to store it, it tells it, um, somewhat where to store it, but different hormones tell the body where to store it. So, this explains the difference in a lot of these populations where malnourishment is prevalent between all of them, but some of them are fat malnourished and some of them are real skinny malnourished because some of them have a tendency to create uh, insulin resistant tissue. And some of them do not. So that's what happens when you look at somebody that's like, I, I don't eat a lot. I don't eat more than 1,500 calories a day, and I'm still fat, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, is that the skinny fat category too?
0: That would be the skinny fat category. Skinny, the skinny fat category is somebody that likely overeats, but their body does not store fat specifically. So they're unhealthy to the point that they're not eating good calories, but they're not unhealthy to the point that they look obese because they are, they are one of the people that genetically just does not store fat. They do not have a high tendency to create a bunch of insulin and they do not have a high tendency to create insulin resistant tissue. So someone like me who can store fat really easily because I grew up obese, I have two different problems going on in my body. And this is the same thing that everyone out there, if you have a tendency to gain weight, you have these two things going on. When you eat a carbohydrate, specifically a high glycemic carb- carbohydrate, which the glycemic is just the speed in which your blood sugar is raised from eating a carbohydrate. If you eat this, your body creates a bunch of insulin, more than the average person. And the reason it creates a bunch of insulin is because your cells are insulin resistant, which means your cells need more insulin to process the blood sugar because the blood sugar, high blood sugar will kill you. High blood sugar is poisonous to tissue, it will create more insulin to deal with the same amount of carbohydrates. And if your body is creating five times, six times, 10 times as much insulin, that means that you are being told, your body is being told through this proportioning valve, this fuel proportioning valve, to store five, six, 10 times as much fat than the person who creates that much less insulin to deal with the same amount of carbohydrates. Now, you cannot change the hand that you've been dealt. You can improve your insulin resistance through um, muscle. You can improve your insulin resistance through uh, long-term carbohydrate restriction. But you can't change the fact that your body has a tendency to create insulin-resistant tissue and it has a tendency to upregulate your insulin production. But what you can do is play the hand that you were dealt differently. And what we mean by playing the hand that you're dealt differently, it means that you are going to reduce the high glycemic foods. And high glycemic foods are processed flours, sugars, fruit juices, beers, sodas, starches like potatoes and sweet potatoes, rice, corn. Don't say rice. Yeah, rice is a high glycemic food, brother.
1: Yeah, I know. Even basmati?
0: Um, basmati, I think, is the worst. No. Look it up. There's a, there's a gl- rice by gli- uh, glycemic index of different rices. There's a chart because I have a, I have a buddy who listens to this podcast who him and his wife were eating, I think, jasmine rice all the time. And he asked me, he's like, hey, is jasmine, jasmine rice bad? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll look it up. And I looked it up and jasmine was like one of the top for the glycemic index like one of the worst. Um I know like wild like whole grain wild brown rice is better than processed white rice but I'm guessing that the sticky the sticky chinese rice that you get with your chinese food is probably the on the top
1: oh, sticky rice. Yeah. Yeah. Um basmati rice is low. Has a low glycemic index? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's um it's a little more expensive, but it's very, very grainy, and that's what a lot of uh, Indian and authentic Chinese or I would say authentic Asian restaurants will use the basmati. Really? Yep.
0: What are the – you want to give a few more and where they stand on that scale? Do you do you have the the chart there? Because I think that – right, like potatoes and sweet potatoes are, are very similar even though people think a sweet potato is much better for you than a white yeah. potato. They are extremely similar. Um, all breads are going to be poor – the yeah. higher the the fiber and the, grain, the multi-grain bread is going to be better than white bread, but they're yep. still all bad. Yeah, the
1: the sticky rice, like you said, you know, that we all love is very high. And jasmine rice, a.k.a. the Thai fragrant rice, is high. So, the... Arborio, which is uh, used in a lot of different, you know, cultures and cooking, is high-moderate. Getting better. Basmati is the low. Uh, Unfortunately, the Japanese sushi rice is high. Brown rice is medium. Depends on how it's, you know, processed. Black rice, which um, I think you get with some uh, Vietnamese food, is very low.
0: Black rice isn't the the hard stuff that's in wild rice, is it? No. Okay. Nope. Okay. It, it's
1: just a, it's a variant. Um, I forgot. Sometimes I think uh, Asians call it blood rice. Okay. Cooks up a little red and black, but it's, uh, yeah, between that and basmati is it's lower. It just, you know, unfortunately you got to shell out a little more out of your pocket to buy this. Just don't buy the cheap shit. And I don't see Uncle Ben's on here. No, Uncle Ben's. Don't say Uncle Ben's. You better not be buying that shit. I don't even know what we buy for rice. I'm going to be real honest with you. Oh, that, that's, that's
0: processed uh, chemical test tube rice. Um, so fruit juices, sodas, basically you think any, any calories that you're drinking, any sugars that you're drinking, it doesn't matter if it's a natural fruit juice, you're still drinking a instant sp- uh, glucose spike, basically, is what you're drinking if you think about the difference between, have you ever drank cranberry juice by itself? No. Like it's to. real, real sour. Yeah. um, There's not a lot of sugar in cranberry juice. Cranberry juice cocktail has got a shitload of sugar added to it, and that's why it tastes good. So if you're drinking stuff that tastes good, um, it's likely that it is going to to fuck you. Um, If yeah. you want to to start to do your planning for, you know, what you're going to do to get your body in check, if you don't like where it's at, just really start to dig into the glycemic load of foods. Um, The best, the, your best bet is if it had a face or it grew in the ground, um, it's likely. Okay. Now where we start to question that is like potatoes, right? Potatoes grew in the ground. Um, If you are looking to maintain body weight, you're probably okay to eat potatoes if you're looking to drop fat you probably should cut potatoes and corn out yeah Um, but they're they're nowhere near as bad as like white bread beer soda sugar um, stuff like that now why i wanted to put this out there is i wanted to put this out there so that if you guys believe um the science that Gary Taubes puts out. If you want to read the book, again, it's called why we get fat. But if you believe the science that he is, that he is referring to, and if you believe in this um, carbohydrate hypothesis, then the way to maintain and the way to reduce fat is going to be eating less processed carbohydrates, eating, Lower glycemic index foods, eating more meats, eating stay away from the processed meats, please. Like bacon and, and sausage and processed lunch meat is not good for you. What about uh, real bacon? Real bacon's still not good for you. The real stuff? The yeah. real
1: sliced off the belly bacon? No.
0: Yeah, it's still not good for you because they still add a shitload of nitrates and nitrates. You oh, can get nitrate and nitrate free bacon. Yeah. Um but you still shouldn't probably be eating a ton of bacon, you know? Um, you should be eating like real meat, but I put this out there because I wanted everybody to be able to start to formulate a plan for themselves, for their family. I wanted them to have a knowledge base. If somebody came up to them and was like, Hey, you know, I, uh, I, I, I trust you, John, can you help me try to lose some weight? Like with, with knowledge like this and understanding the mechanics behind why your body stores fat, you are able to start to build a plan and you're able to start to make small incremental changes that add up to a lot at the end of the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll definitely agree. I
1: would just kill all the processed food in general, but um, shit, even nowadays you got to look at the quality of the meat. That's uh, going in the grocery stores versus, you know, if you can find, you know, decent local farmers that, you know, butcher uh, um, grass-fed beef. It's so different than what you're seeing at the grocery stores.
0: Yeah, the one thing that we ignore um, a lot is the, the level of micronutrients. And when I say micronutrients, there are thousands. Of micronutrients that we know, but I believe there are tens of thousands of micronutrients that we we haven't even actually um, identified yet that are in foods. And yeah. a good book for that is the Dorito effect. If you guys want to go out and, and read that one, that one's awesome. It basically talks about the flavonoids in food and why like a big juicy, delicious strawberry is going to be better for you than the shit chemically altered like crap strawberry that you get at some cheap grocery stores. Oh, yeah. And just the amount of micronutrients per calorie in that same berry is drastically different.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge difference and the big test is you go to the grocery store and well, they don't let you really, they're in containers now, but back in the day, or I think there's some people that actually still do it, is you actually, while you're shopping, you grab a piece of fruit you try it. So if you tried the difference between a true organic strawberry versus a, you know, strawberry from wherever they get it from, different aisle. Um, you'll notice that the flavor is so much different. Fruit's a lot fuller. Um, and like what you're saying is there's so much more nutrients in that than whatever if it was genetically modified, I don't know what the other crap strawberries, what's happening there. So
0: Well and that and that's the thing with organic um, you know, I got a friend who's who, who who lives and dies by the the what do they call it the clean and dirty list. There's a there's a clean and dirty yeah. list for organic foods, and yeah. it is basically the type of foods that you're eating that you can get the pesticides yep. still on the foods, um, strawberries and stuff like that. Like the the clean and dirty list says that you should be eating those organic, but then stuff like bananas, um, and potatoes and stuff like that where you're not actually, there's no way to get those because they have a a protective wrap on the fruit or on the vegetable or the vegetables under the ground. They're saying that those are okay to eat completely conventional vegetables. The part that that ignores is um, the GMO modification. Yep. And when you start to think about GMO modification, if you owned a business and you could design a strawberry to sell, You would want that strawberry to grow with the least input and make you the most money possible as fast as possible. So you would genetically modify that strawberry to grow fast with little nutrients put into it and get on the floor bright red as fast as possible, right? Yeah. The problem with that is, is what, what you lose by altering those organisms and genetically modifying them is you take the risk of losing a lot of the benefits that you get from a long slow growing season with a lot of micronutrients to help grow that that vegetable yeah and so that's where like the one the one of the places that i really notices it notices notice it in is bananas if you go to costco and you buy the conventional bananas and you buy the organic bananas and you try them right next to each other, drastically different flavor profile, drastically different mouthfeel. And those bananas are in a protected barrier. They do not get um, pesticides and insecticides sprayed on them. But you still have a very different fruit. Yeah.
1: Have you tried, were you standing in Costco trying bananas or what?
0: What? No, you know, sometimes they're out. (laughs) So you got to get, sometimes they're out of organic ones and you got to get regular ones and you can tell the difference. Yep. A lot of times I'll smell fruit, like berries, you can always smell the difference whether yep. they're good or bad. Um, vegetables is a little bit harder. You know, your your lettuces and your and your cucumbers and your peppers and all that kind of stuff is a little bit different, but um, any of those things, whether you're eating conventional or organic, are still better than ho-hos and ding-dongs and, you know, processed crap cakes.
1: but yeah but the biggest thing for me is is meat you know i because i eat a ton of red meat and it's just man if i have to do an emergency run in a grocery store just the quality drop the taste look and everything of the meat that is in a grocery store is just insane and i know some of that they you know it's, it's old meat the quality of where they get it is also an issue and then i think they blow uh uh, carbon dioxide on it to keep it red, right?
0: Yeah, there's something they do to keep the meat red.
1: Because, yeah, shortly after you get it home, that thing browns up pretty bad, and taste is just not quite there. There's nothing like uh, ripping open a uh, tube of uh, farm-butchered meat, grass-fed, that's just
0: rich in taste. And try perfecting your your cooking of wild game. You know, like I have just in the last month or two started eating a boatload of venison. And what the big change for me there was is a friend of mine made me some venison that he used this baking soda and vinegar soak overnight and it changed the venison to the point that like it was almost a cross between a consistency of like a filet mignon and a meatball. Oh, yeah. And so it made it more enjoyable to eat. And just that little change and then learning how to flavor the venison where you're not getting the gamey taste. Um, I, I eat venison, you know, three, four days a week now for my lunches. And it's great because that is as natural as you can get. That animal literally ate whatever it wanted, roamed around the forest for a year, two years, three years. Yeah. Putting those calories in its body and picking and choosing what it wanted to eat By its knowledgeability, you know, its subconscious knowledge, knowledgeability, knowledgeability, subconscious knowledge of what it needed to be the healthiest animal it could be.
1: Yeah, Uh, that's about the best you can get. For those of you that are in the uh, urban cities, I don't know, man. That's that's a little rough.
0: Well, hunting is such a hunting is becoming such a such a a craze now that if you want to try to eat wild game. Yeah. um, you're not trying hard enough if you're not able to get some. Because I bet that we all know three people that we could get some venison from if we needed to. Or we wanted to. I don't know. I mean, man. hell, I bet I could even get, like, elk. I don't think I know anybody. I could get some moose if I wanted to pay to have it sent. But, you know. Yeah.
1: Around here, it's easy to get. I'm just thinking, like, dang, you're in the middle of uh, Los Angeles. and Kind of hosed, dude.
0: Not if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the middle of Los Angeles, I bet that in your circle you have somebody that can get you some medicine. Yeah, I don't, I'll, I'll talk to you LA folks and you let me know. Yeah, see, there you go. You got anything to add that was kind of a that was a load of just me putting data out there, but I really wanted to get a, the point across that yes, calories in calories out does determine whether you're going to put weight on, but it completely ignores the fact that your body will tell you that you need to eat more and it will make you burn less and if we completely ignore the way that we manipulate that part of the body then we're ignoring the fact that our body is way smarter than we think it is yeah
1: i mean it's about focusing on the quality and not the quantity exactly but yeah that's nothing more to add i think it gets people thinking and uh yeah, coming up on these New Year's resolutions, which I think we've talked about, you know, I hate New Year's resolutions. You should just do it. Do it now if you're going to do it. Don't set a date later to do it. So, um, you know, do your research. There's no excuse for not doing your research.
0: Yeah. I know. The guys that I work out with, we already talked about it. We're, we're going to switch up after the first of the year. We'll, we'll, change out, we'll, we'll change the way that we work out up. We won't be pushing so much for strength gains and muscle gains. And we're going to kind of all change our diet up together, so that we'll be working more towards a fat loss goal versus a strength gain goal or a muscle gain goal. And you know, if you guys want to, you guys want to jump on the bandwagon, we get on. Email me, message me, message Martin, and we can all, you know, we can all improve together. Dang,
1: you guys are gonna go on the lean side. I'm, I'm at that age. Where I'm trying to just pack more muscle mass on, man.
0: Yeah. So just for a little while.
1: A little while, okay. Yeah,
0: just for a little while. We'll do like, you know, 60, 90 days, see where it looks, see how it looks after that.
1: Yeah. All right, I'm on the muscle mass is important as you age bandwagon right now. Muscle mass
0: is very important as you age. (laughs) I need it.
1: Trust me, I'm tearing it up left and right,
0: literally. So. (sighs) All right, that's a wrap. All right,
1: man.